Hi, it's G3, and across the green marbles table from me today is Jordi Visser, and we are going to continue our discussion on health span and longevity. In this episode, we are going to talk specifically about the convergence of biology and technology and the enormous implications it will have in the years to come. So please, check important disclosures at the end of the episode and stick around for a while. And if you like what you hear, please feel free to give us a rating because it's good for the health and longevity of this podcast. And with that, welcome. All right, we are recording and we are going to continue our discussion on longevity. Very much looking forward to this, Jordy. But before we continue to talk about longevity and the transition from lifespan to health span, I want to talk about a webinar you did last week where you highlighted why you think the markets are at a critical point post the Fed meeting. And in it, you said that the Fed was engaged in linear thinking. And I think you chose your words very carefully there. You essentially said we need inflation to come down. To do that, we need to get the unemployment rate up. To get the unemployment rate up, there needs to be more pain. No pain, no gain, essentially, is what you described the Fed's playbook. And you also made the point, though, that the labor shortage is structural. And as a result... We need way higher rates than what anybody is talking about. And it very much seems to fit directly into this lifespan versus health span issue where, you know, you have described this dominance of siloed thinking, almost devoid of any consideration of second and third order effects. So can you briefly explain what you mean by the Fed's critical point and draw a connection, if you could, between the siloed thinking you see in our country's approach to aging and how the Fed is maybe thinking about the labor market? That was a big question to begin with, but I'm sure you can handle it. All right. First of all, the webinar I did was meant to give an update on things. And rather than focus on linear thinking as a negative, it's just the reality of what was said. So you get a CPI report, which after the numbers that came out in August were lower than expected, we got higher than expected numbers. And the Fed came out in unison and basically said, we have a job to do. We're going to get inflation down. We need to get the unemployment rate up. And I don't mean up a little. I mean up a reasonable amount, somewhere north of 4.4% to get inflation to come down. And so the reason I said linear thinking is it got into this whole thing of, okay, I want to lose weight, so I'll do X. And that's fine. But there's consequences for all these decisions and you're assuming that it's going to solve the problem that you want. Inflation to come down and assuming that the only way for it to come down or the main way to judge it coming down is the unemployment rate to go up. This gets into the point that I've said repeatedly. I just don't understand how people don't realize, A, how hard it is over the course of the last 30 years to have a period where people get fired. Yes, during COVID, during a pandemic, it happened. It clearly happened during the great financial crisis. But to actually get to the point that you slow the economy down enough, and we've had two negative GDP quarters. Year-over-year GDP right now is 1.8%. The first two quarters were minus 1.6 and minus 0.6. So far right now, we've got a GDP now of 2.8. Basically, this year, we've grown at zero 
and we're still creating hundreds of thousands of jobs. And the point I've made is we have a labor shortage and that has to be factored into what the Fed's saying, but the Fed is focused on inflation. It comes at a time when M2 is shrinking. Last week, deposits were down an enormous amount. Bank deposits are 85% of M2. So you had now, I think over the last five weeks, $207 billion of bank deposit outflows. So an annualized number of $2.2 Maybe some of this was window dressing for quarter end. But the main story is there's a lot of things happening that say the lagging indicator of inflation is coming down and that the Fed has done enough to at least pull back and wait and see how much it'll go. <laughs> But instead, they want to get inflation to come down. And the only way to do that is the unemployment rate. And as we're going to talk about, I just don't know how you're going to get the unemployment rate to go higher when we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. And when health span in this country basically ends at 66, people can do the math. If people can't work after 66, I don't know where we're going to replace these people. And they're still going to be spending money, even if wherever it's from, they're still going to be spending money and lifespan goes till 79 now. So the Fed is fighting a battle that has a lot of new demographics attached to it. And I think this is the linear thinking mistake that I was trying to highlight in the webinar. I think you've drawn a very interesting connection there. And I'm glad you touched upon health span again. Can you just very briefly, for those who maybe didn't listen to last week's episode, and I would encourage them to go back and listen, just talk about your personal journey focusing in on health span. And if you could just remind everybody of the five big categories that you focus on with respect to aging. Yeah. And, and I've never received more questions and kind of comments following a podcast than this one. I would have thought web 3.0 crypto would have been more interesting to people. But what I heard from people a lot was number one, Everyone has a family member or themselves around the critical age that we're kind of talking about, which is like, let's say 45 to 60, where you're entering that period where health span really starts to drop off. It gets problematic and people ask questions trying to remember what it went. So I, first of all, created an acronym and then I have something else to just mention on it before we segue into the technology. So I called it MINDS so people can remember it. And basically you're talking about Focusing on your mind, and that's breathing, meditation, being in nature, immune system, so the eye, for focusing on prebiotics, probiotics, and specifically fiber. There's a book, Fiber Fueled, which is great and kind of highlights to people how much fiber they need. It's not an easy thing to get, but it goes through a lot of the bacteria and making sure that your gut is healthy. Nutrition for the end, which is self-explanatory. Exercise, again, I focus on low impact, but it's really important to focus on that. And I think people should be spending a lot of time on understanding the importance of skeletal muscle as they get later in life and sleep. Now, I want to give one thing to people because people seem to like having this keep it simple, stupid approach. And there's one study that if you want to spend time on and then go take each one of those five categories and apply them towards meeting this goal because people like goals. And since I said weight is not the goal people should focus on, one thing that was the most interesting to me, and I had you doing it last week downstairs, if you look up and read the studies on being able to stand on one leg, both with your eyes open and your eyes closed, balance and being able to stand on one leg is a very, very good predictor of reaching a point where death probability increases. If you think about not being able to stand on there because of balance, because of strength, because of a whole variety of reasons, the number one accidental death outside of car crashes is falling. 
And I think everybody listening has a family member that has fallen. When you fall and you're older, you get up and you need a new hip or you've hurt your knee and you have to lay down. You lose a lot of skeletal muscle. And unless you're going to do heavy resistance training, which is obviously harder, you lose a lot of muscle and it starts to speed up the aging process. So for everyone out there, if you want to start with one study and then go through the five categories, I would start with learning about standing on one leg and the importance of it. And I have to say, it's challenging. I mean, I did it, but my goodness, I want to try and improve my ability to do that because I hear you about falling. That is a fascinating statistic. Yeah. Do it with your eyes closed next time because you were doing it with your eyes open last time. Okay. All right. I'll try that. I'm sure that'll reduce the amount of time. All right. Well, you are getting very excited about the potential impact that technology can have on both health span and lifespan. And in fact, we have titled this series, The Next Big Innovation, The Intersection of Biology and Technology. Can you talk a little bit about why you suggested this is the title for this series? Yeah, I've said to you, I don't know if I've said it on these podcasts, but I really don't read a lot of books in completion. I read a lot of parts of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts by the authors. But one of the last books I read cover to cover was Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs. And there were many parts of it that I loved. I think Steve Jobs is one of the most fascinating people that I've read about in recent times. But the part that really got me was at the very end when he was dying of cancer, he opened up a lot to Walter Isaacson. And he was the one that talked about the next big innovation being the intersection of biology and technology. And you have to really think about this. He said this in the very last year of his life. He died in 2011. The book came out in 2011. And then you fast forward to what David Sinclair wrote, which I, the line I gave, and I'll just give a piece of it, but aging is a loss of information. So connecting not just technology and biology, but the information age back to biology and trying to answer the question of what causes aging and is aging a disease rather than the symptom-based care. So Steve Jobs saw something at the very end of his life after someone who took a non-traditional way of dealing with cancer, but then eventually, for if people don't know this, he was one of the first 20 people, I believe in the world, definitely in the U.S., to have his DNA sequenced. It cost $100,000 back when he had it done. So being one of the first 20, so they could target medicines towards his particular cancer, that process left such an impact on him that he made the statement. He had other quotes too. And one of them is something along the lines of, I'm either going to be the first person to be able to outrun a cancer like this, or I'm going to be one of the last to die from it. And it was pancreatic cancer, which has a very low survival rate, particularly after five years being diagnosed with it. So the fact that he had such an impact and he was one of the first 20, and now you fast forward 10 years later, more than 30 million people, including myself, have had their DNA sequenced. So this technology movement in the intersection is something that got me real excited over the last, I would say, seven years of reading about it. Many books, Hacking Darwin, really opened up my eyes to the fact that if you could stay healthy into your 60s, you would benefit a lot from the technologies that are coming out, as well as some of the medicines, which will help people on the lifestyle side. I had a meeting once with Craig Ventor, who was, as you know, the person who first sequenced his genome and he ate a Big Mac in front of me. And I've never forgotten that, <laughs> which maybe speaks to his approach towards health span. All right. Well, let's talk about how Jobs and what he said 
connects to this issue of lifespan to health span. Let's just say that in all things involving technology right now, we're getting down to the cellular level. So when you think about the differences between lifespan and health span, again, you're getting into the concept of can we make those two meet by extending health span and what would enable that? And so what would enable it is to, we have to eliminate a lot of the things that are pre-existing conditions that are happening in people and to actually get rid of them as opposed to living with them. And that's what we're doing. We're finding ways to live longer, but with these pre-existing conditions by taking medicine. And if we get off the medicine, then we're going to be back with the problem. And so that's not solving the problem. And that's why going down to the cellular or molecular level, the nano level of everything is giving us more information on what we need to do to remain healthy. So all the things that I mentioned with the brain, with the immune system, with nutrition, with exercise, with sleep, as far as I'm concerned, those are critical to enabling you to do that without medicine. You're going to be able to do that with medicine. And I'm sure from technology, you'll be able to do it too at some point, whether it's gene editing, whether it's a variety of different technologies that will come in for software for the body. But I think the fact that we have the capability of doing it ourselves that's what really got me more interested. And as I read up more in this, there was a phrase that kind of came out which or a word about this convergence that was happening, which was bioconvergence, I combined that technology convergence with some other factors on the macro level that to me will help answer this more. But this bioconvergence combined with the macro side, it just makes me believe that people are going to start seeing greater and greater change at a faster and faster pace. I do want to mention, since I talked about the sequencing of the DNA, if you go use Moore's Law to go through how quickly we went from having a, a mainframe to a supercomputer in our hands, how long that process took. And when you see Moore's Law and you see this compounding of shrinking size and increasing power, I think DNA sequencing costs are down to about $400 now. And many people, like I said, including myself, have had it done. You're talking about a drop in cost of 99.99% from when it originally came out. But then fast forward to Steve Jobs, it cost $100,000. Then you're down to $400. So you've had a 99.6% drop in cost. This stuff is going so rapidly. And by having the cost go lower, we're collecting more data. More data leads to more studies. More studies leads to more solutions. And that's what started to happen with the bioconvergence is this combination of all these technology things with the body and looking at it at a nano level. At the same time, you and I both know that innovations go through hype cycles. And we have talked about this obviously regarding crypto. And I know what Steve Jobs said where he referenced the 21st century as being the time in which the convergence between biotechnology and information technology will have the greatest impact of any innovation. But what has you convinced that these breakthroughs will happen in the near term? Oh, there's a lot of reasons why at this point. So let's start from a very high level. Bank America has done a lot of great work on this. So is McKinsey. So is Deloitte. I've read a lot of big thought pieces on this. But the most interesting thing, which I think I mentioned on the last podcast, B of A wrote that <laughs> medical knowledge was doubling every 50 years back at 1950. In 2010, they estimate it was doubling every 3.5 years. In 2018, every 73 days. So that's how fast they were saying when they wrote that thought piece that came out in 2019, I believe. COVID sped things up. And it's something that if people really haven't read about, 
regardless of the debate over or the problems that people had in terms of believing in the vaccine for some people, the story of how quickly the vaccine came to the marketplace is really something that's amazing. China released or published on January 11th the draft genome of the virus. So it comes out in January 11th and Moderna and the NIH agreed to basically design a vaccine, which they did over the weekend. And they say two days later, they had what was eventually going to be the vaccine. So you have to think about that. From January 11th over the weekend, January 14th, they have the vaccine. We haven't even had a case in the U.S. yet. So rather than focus again on the vaccine itself, it's more the ability for a company that had never worked on a virus from what I read, specific in a coronavirus, was not focused on vaccines, and yet they were able to come up with a draft vaccine. So the fact that you could have that kind of accelerant and we go through the medical knowledge side and say, hey, it was every 73 days we would double medical knowledge. First of all, that kind of concept is insane. It's astonishing. Yeah. And so regardless of whether you agree that it's true, we had a proof case in COVID. Now, that was the beginning part of what was a global Manhattan project where every single person was now sitting at home. We had an exchange of information that had never happened before. So I have viewed it as in the same way that the Manhattan Project sped up what eventually is computers today. We got everyone involved to try and solve a problem in the same way we wanted to solve a problem globally in a pandemic. And so the vaccine is going to lead to a lot of speeding up of things. It's going to lead to a lot more funding. Aside from the technology side and the fact that just between CRISPR and mRNA technologies and the value that they're going to bring... I think I always view this as an investor as the need at a given time. So we keep talking about the fact that 10,000 people turned 65. We talk about it from a health span perspective. People don't want to be sick. So the number one spending that people are going to have from 65 on is going to be focused on them living longer because nobody wants to die unless they're unhealthy and they don't want to sit there. And even there, I'm not sure that they don't want to live longer. They just want to find a way to be healthier. So the fact that 70% of the disposable income in the world is controlled by the baby boomers who are now above. I mean, they started turning 65 in 2011. So you have a scenario where you have the money of the world sitting there. You have artificial intelligence. You have big data. You have all of getting down to the molecular and cellular level. We sequence the DNA or the genome back with the Genome Project, which finished in 2004. So we're only 17 years into this. You have the governments who have a problem because the health costs are getting expensive. So how can we afford Medicare? How can we afford to have all these things if people are getting older? We know that the country has a significant problem where one out of three people in the country, and I'm sure the number is higher by now, have pre-existing conditions already above the age of 50, I believe, certainly above the age of 60. So we're dealing with a lot of health care costs going forward, which will bankrupt the country. And then we've got the labor shortage issue. So companies are going to start to incentivize people at a younger age. I mean, this was starting already. I remember on Wall Street, they were handing out Fitbits at the companies. If you would wear your Fitbit, I think these things are going to happen. I think aura rings will be there. I think all of these things will be geared more towards health going forward. So when you take this quote unquote bioconvergence, you throw all these factors together. I think this, the pace of change is going to go much, much more rapidly than people can possibly realize. And I'm just going to say to people as investors, and I know we're planning to do one more on this specifically on more in detail about the investment side, but I just want to put some numbers 
on it so people can realize the importance. Because back during the great financial crisis, if you go back and look at how the software for companies and individuals, Amazon and Apple were both up during a down move. One of my favorite things in looking for innovations, which we talked about on crypto, is to find areas where they do okay on the way down, but in particular when they do better on the way up. When you come out of a financial crisis, any of them, including this one, a a down move, deleveraging, everyone's looking for the next growth thing. And I'm convinced that this is going to happen in the biotech and pharmaceutical area. There's indications of it now. But in 2013, if you go back and look at Apple's market cap, it was $400 billion and the XBI, the biotech ETF, was also $400 billion. If you go to 2018, the biotech ETF was $900 billion and Apple was $900 billion. Today, the XBI is $1 trillion and Apple is $2.25 trillion as we come in here today. So I believe that a lot of the pharmaceutical companies and a lot of the biotech companies are going to be coming with advancements that are going to take the entire sector up. And so that's where I'd be spending a lot of time on this space from an investment standpoint over the next five to 10 years. And like I said, well, I'm sure we'll spend more time on this in another episode going forward. We will. And just to conclude here, I have a couple of data points for you to get your reaction to. So I'm interested to hear how the retirement age plays into all of this. Currently, the full retirement age in the U.S. is 67 for those born in 1960 or later. But it's really 70 for those who want the 8% kicker that you can get if you delay it. However, this basic retirement age framework was last addressed in 1983. Does it make any sense to you to bake in assumptions that were derived 39 years ago, based upon everything that you've described as to the pace of innovation? No, of course not. Yeah, that was obviously a hanging curveball yeah. I threw you. <laughs> but, but here's what I'll say. Again, the gap between lifespan and health span is the most important number. So lifespan has now gone to 79 from, say, 74, 75, 40 years ago. But health span has not increased that much. And I just used my grandfather as an example. My grandfather died at 75, and I remember him as basically not being what I would consider healthy, meaning the ability to go stand on one foot when he was 65. So I think as you go through what has happened in this country, especially from 1983, because that coincides also with when the food industry started to change coming out of the 70s with inflation. It's when we started getting more genetically modified foods. It's when we started putting corn syrup and everything. A whole bunch of things which changed in nutrition have probably offset the benefits that have come with people living longer. So if you live longer because we have medicines that will allow you to live longer, everyone has the grandparent or the parent who is taking 10 to 15 different pills and they're able to live, but there's no balance. There's no way. It's really not a great life. So when people, governments, and companies have the same incentives and they control the money, I just get the impression that this is going to be a bigger focus than coming up with the next best, I don't know, Uber or DoorDash. I think there's money better spent on solving problems and investing in these things. And so that's why I keep bringing up the fact if you spend time reading about CRISPR, if you spend time reading about stem cell therapy, if you spend time reading about mRNA and you really get a sense as to what's here, I think the excitement is going to be very, very compounding. And I think these questions about the retirement age 
they'll all change on their own, but I think it's going to happen with the health span going up, allowing people to just work longer. Excellent. And we'll talk about the money next time. Okay. Money next time. Thank you so much, Jordy. This is great. Thanks, G3. This podcast should not be reproduced, copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without notice. Information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investment. Any health-related information shared on this podcast is not intended as medical advice or for use in self-diagnosis or treatment. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional before acting upon any health-related information on this podcast. Please review related show notes for this podcast and visit www.gweiss.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.